Welcome to the Adventure Therapy Collective Podcast. Our offices are mountains, rivers, and the woods. Climbing, hiking, and paddling are just what the doctor ordered. Um, Dan, we get to hang out in a month. So excited. So stoked uh, to have you return to to your motherland, come back to the home country <laughs> and hang out in the Northwest, which isn't your home country at all because you grew up on the East Coast, but... That's right. But one of the things... Even though we're two dinguses that uh, uh, made a podcast, we're also kind of researchers. And for the first time ever, you and I were successful on a grant. Yes. <laughs> and it's really exciting. We got Scott Miller involved. We've got some computer program, which is a giant pain in the ass. And then they were like, you have to spend all the money. Well, Will will just come and we'll all do some lectures together with Chris Russo. That sounds really fun. Yeah, it's it's going to be so exciting to, to get to put together some adventure therapy lectures for the School of Social Work at University of Washington. Drive up to Canada and see our colleagues uh, Nevin and Steve up there. That's going to be awesome. And to just screw around in Portland, hang out, work on some things together. I feel like all the time working together on so many different projects during the pandemic. Hannah was saying to me, she's like, oh, wow, I finally get to meet Will. And I'm like, oh, you haven't actually physically <laughs> met Will. You've talked to him and sat through so many Zoom meetings and you've never met him in person. Comically, it's only like our third time ever, or it'll be our fourth time ever hanging out in person, which is pretty wild and bizarre because of totally. the, the pandemic and the divide. Totally. I mean, it's, uh, it's going to be wild. It, it is funny that... One of the affordances of the pandemic, which was horrible, is that a lot of us stayed connected in various ways really well. I mean, the amount of podcasts that got started skyrocketed, um, including this silly one. But yeah, it is technically started pre-pandemic. That's true. With November yeah, I did 20, the first no interview with Tony Alvarez at his house. I think it might have taken a while for us to get it actually launched, but we did get it going before the pandemic. Good point. Uh, I retract my comment. Um, <laughs> um, we we but, really got our momentum and found our traction during the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, working really hard and playing outside most of the time. Um, I just wanted to say you're also working on a different research project that's really cool, and we really want every listener to take part, and because uh, I think it's really important as well. Do you want to chat about that? Yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're doing a survey right now, and the survey is specifically to learn about people in the field of adventure therapy, whether they're field guides, therapists, administrators, at kind of whatever level, if they're working as some sort of adventure therapy practitioner, to share information about their, their education, their practice, and their perspectives on professionalism, to just kind of add to what's known about how we get prepared to get into this field, and then what we think once we're working in it, because there's so many different folks in the field of adventure therapy across the world who are doing things mm. slightly different or who got into the field in very, very different ways that trying to have a little bit of a better understanding of how we got to the field will hopefully be helpful to people who are trying to get into the field right now. Because a lot of people ask us constantly, I want to do that adventure therapy stuff. How do I do it? How do I get trained? Mm. And the answer is different depending on where you're at. There's not that many programs that teach you how to do it in the U.S.? I think so. And I also really like the idea of almost providing a map of what this sort of looks like, because you can see in different places, even in Australia, there's people who have differing ideas about what what training should look like, who can do this, who, you know, what is the gatekeeping around that? And I see a lot of that. That's really uh, amazing. And so I think having this embracing the diversity of our field while also providing some, in, I guess, empirical understanding of what's going on can be really good where people have learned how to do this work and, and also what got them into it. Was it a job first? Were they just outdoorsy people? And that's a that's a will be really cool. Yeah, so if you're listening to this, which you are because you heard me say that, go to the show notes <laughs> and uh, we've got the link to the survey and it's got a little letter kind of explaining what how long it'll take. I think it takes most people about 10 or 20 minutes. And there's mm -hmm. just multiple choice questions with a few open-ended questions at the end, asking about your experiences, about how you got into this field, and then some of your thoughts about practice and professionalism. So we would really appreciate it if you took a few moments to fill out the survey. 
feel free to share it with any friends that are interested or that are working in the field of adventure therapy or outdoor therapy, and we would really appreciate it. That would be amazing. We've already had a good number of people, but we, uh, as researchers, we just want more and more. So if you're listening to this and going, I don't think I have something to contribute. I'm too green in this field. You're lying to yourself and go fill out the survey. And that would be amazing. Yeah, actually folks that are green and there've been some, um, a number of students that are placed in practicum and bachelors and lower level of training that have completed it. And then people with PhDs and masters. So kind of the whole spectrum. And uh, yeah, that would be amazing to get our uh, international listenership on board. I have to calculate at the end of this, since it's December already, I have to calculate how many new countries we've got. Cause we were about 50 countries that have listened uh, last year. So I'll, I'll do the uh, number crunching as well. Yeah. And that, that's astonishing to me. I mean, you're more international than I am. So I know you actually probably know people in 50 countries. I'm not sure that I could probably write down 50 countries if I try. <laughs> <laughs> and Daniel doesn't go to international conferences. So that's a problem. I want to, but they're far away and I'm broke. Latvia, European conference, 2024. Save the that money. That actually sounds incredible. I'd be really excited for that. Yep. And everybody should go to that, even if you don't live in Europe. Gain some, see some different perspectives about things. Now, and I if you're local run... here in the US, come to the TAPG Best Practices Conference that I'm helping to co convene in Portland, uh, my hometown, July 28th and 29th. And I say my hometown, I live here. My hometown was Michigan, but it feels like my hometown now. (laughs) Um, Just with the few minutes I have left before I've got to run to a midfield placement meeting and by run, close this Zoom link and open another. We have an interview with Bernie here. And Bernie is someone, I think if you're in the, the TAPG community, really needs no introduction. But for those who might not know who Bernie is, do you want to provide a brief introduction to him? Because... This program is innovative and cool and is really focused on accessibility and engagement with populations not typically representative of adventure therapy practice. Yeah, Bernie and the the Chicago Voyagers, his program, and they're some of my favorite people in the adventure therapy community. I think their program is so incredibly cool. They work with uh, young people who have had so much disadvantage, so much trauma, so much marginalization. In, in Chicago, in areas that are very economically disadvantaged and have service deserts. And they take these kids that are kind of the opposite of the stereotype of who gets to be involved in adventure therapy. And they, they take them rock climbing at Devil's Lake in Wisconsin. They take them up canoeing and kayaking in Lake Superior, Michigan, and in Boundary Waters in Minnesota. And they go backpacking. They take trips out to the Rocky Mountains. And it's uh, it's definitely after my own heart as well, because it's prevention and mental health promotion, where they're not saying, I mean, they do work with young people who already have a higher level of need, per my understanding, but they also do a lot of work with kids who have been identified as experiencing higher levels of risk. And so mm. they do all this to, to just help them get a leg up and to teach them how how to be more resilient and build their levels of resilience and well-being to prepare them to have opportunities that a lot of these kids would never have a chance to having. And I've been touched hearing uh, Bernie talking about working with young people who are like living in cars in Chicago. I mean, sh- Chicago, the weather is intense. And mm. uh, you're talking about some kids that are just really struggling with a whole lot and Chicago Voyagers does incredible work. One of the cooler programs that I know of in the entire field of adventure therapy. So we were so excited to have Bernie on here to talk about it. Yep. And he doesn't disappoint. So let's get to that interview. Hey, Bernie. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Adventure Therapy Collective podcast. We're so excited to have you on uh, to talk about the amazing work that you all are doing at Chicago Voyagers. So so to start, I just wanted to ask you if you could introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little bit about this incredible work that you do. Um, uh, thanks, Daniel. I really appreciate it. I've been with Chicago Voyagers. I'm kind of the, the founder and the current variant of the organization. And um, my background is is counseling. So I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor and kind of came across this opportunity 
and was kind of at the right time at the right place to to get involved. At Chicago Voyagers, our mission is around um, empowerment of youth using adventure therapy to foster healthy relationship and skills for life success. Mm. And so we've been at this like 13 years and been a fun kind of wild ride to to be a part of this adventure. And did you, were, were you were already in Chicago? Is Chicago, was Chicago always home? Chicago is always home. Yeah, I, I grew up in Oak Park, uh, went to school locally, spent the first half of my career in engineering. And so I designed cellular telephone systems. And then I got involved in uh, a mentoring program for at-risk youth back in the 90s. Hmm. And that was really rewarding. And I ended up as a volunteer in Omni Youth Services Wilderness Therapy Program. Hmm. And that kind of led me into my second career. Yeah. And you were doing some raft guiding, weren't you? I was doing raft guiding. And that's how I kind of got connected with the Wilderness Therapy Program. So, I, yeah, I, I was a, a licensed boatman is what they call it with the state of Idaho. So I would go out there on my vacation from my engineering job and guide trips on the Middle Fork and the Main Salmon. Mm. And so, yeah, our first kind of ventures with with Omni were those trips bringing youth out. And that's how I actually got connected with one of our researchers, Christine Norton, was on one of those trips. That wow. The water was too high to go, so they canceled us at foot and we had driven, I don't remember, 30 hours and... Yeah, that was a kind of a, a challenging time. <laughs> what, what a what a wild roadmap for going from like engineering to raft guiding on the salmon in Idaho, which is like a classic river. If you're into if you're into whitewater, that is one of the spots you want to be in. You're trying to get permits for to building this incredible adventure therapy program in Chicago. That's a pretty awesome curvy up and down route to the path that that looks a lot different than others. Yeah, absolutely. Um, John Conway was my mentor. And he kind of helped me with going back to school and getting my master's in counseling and kind of that that whole switch over into um, a different career. So I'm really fortunate to have him as a continued mentor of mine. And Will and I were talking about this. We were like, is there something in the water in the upper Midwest that that transfers uh adventure or transfers engineers into like adventure therapy leaders and gurus because <laughs> tony alvarez also was an engineer and then found adventure therapy and you're an engineer and you found adventure right. therapy and you're both hanging out in the upper midwest where people people hear adventure therapy and they're, they're thinking colorado or utah or like these mountainous havens and you all are bringing incredible programming what's the secret in the upper midwest that's making this happen oh i think it's um there's a need I think there's a need and an opportunity and um you know sometimes you just kind of feel called to something and so that was like the case for me i just felt like it was the right direction i didn't feel like i had to stay in one career for life and um and i saw i guess i saw the program at work i think once you see adventure therapy it's like a your eyes are open to like a different world and for some people maybe not part of that um area it, maybe there's a little bit of mystery or a little bit of uncertainty about you do what like you're camping like you're sleeping in tents <laughs> you're climbing mountains like that's like your job <laughs> and um but it's really powerful a mechanism for working with youth and um we have a lot of needs here in the chicagoland area yeah um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of violence there's a lot of poverty um and um you know we're just kind of out here to help as Daniel was saying, it's it's interesting because, I mean, when we had the best practices conference, I flew into Chicago and then drove to DeKalb to visit AdventureWorks. And it's not exactly the drive where you're going, this looks like a place where people go camping a lot and do a lot of outdoorsy stuff. It's pretty flat plains and those sort of things. So it's amazing that there's Chicago Voyagers, Chicago Adventure Therapy, AdventureWorks, everything happening kind of nearby in Ohio, and then the Michigan cohort, as Daniel said, it is really interesting that there's this almost a pocket of of really innovative programs that tend not to look like what many of us consider adventure therapy classic. Yeah, absolutely. And we do do programs out in the Rockies and up in the Boundary Waters and stuff. 
Cool. But being community based, like most of our work is is close by. I was down at at Starved Rock State Park, which is one of my favorite places in the state. And it's got these cool canyons and waterfalls and cliffs and eagles. And it's just like, you know, to our kids, this is like another world to take our youth and to get them really kind of in a different environment and out in nature. Well, I love that you're you kind of challenge that stereotype about where adventure therapy happens because people think like, oh yeah, that these are happening in Zion National Park place. And you're like, no, we do this in near nature in Chicago. But you also challenge a bunch of other stereotype, stereotypical critiques of the field where people say that adventure therapy, this that's that thing for affluent white kids from privileged backgrounds. And you look at the the population that Chicago Voyagers works with. And you work with young people who are experiencing some of the highest levels of disadvantage. And could you talk about the populations that you're working with and how you get connected with the communities that you're doing these programs for? Um, So we work demographics. It's 90% low-income youth of color. And we work in, in a partnership model with schools and community agencies. So that's a really important part of our our community-based uh, model is to, to work with the partners. And so they do like the recruiting of the kids and, you know, we kind of work with them, but ultimately they do the recruiting. Um, they have staff that are in the community either working and sometimes living in the neighborhoods that will participate with the youth. And that really helps us with that transition and also getting the engagement of the youth and their families um, the, the, the kids we work with can be pretty hard to engage. There's frequently trust issues to overcome. And, uh, you know, we don't really keep track of, of ACEs and stuff like that. But one of our partners did share that they do. Um, and, and they average six out of the, the 10 for their youth. I think when you're in a community, a low-income community, working with the youth there, there's a lot that kind of comes with that. Most of our kids have been exposed to violence. There's lots of challenges in their home. If you don't have money, it dictates where you live. It dictates your opportunities. It dictates so much. So we kind of go into these different high-need areas and communities, and we, and we find partners to work with us to give these kids the opportunities. And what does that look like in finding those partners? Are they at first like, whoa, what are you doing? Or how, <laughs> how do they react? What's that outreach look like? Because... I think that's an, an important part of this recipe that maybe folks don't always know. Yeah, and we've um, we've been fortunate that most of our partners have come to us. Wow. So it kind of goes, a lot of it goes word of mouth. And so it might look something like this staff person we're working with at school A moves to school B and then calls us up and says, let's start a program over here. So that's a bunch of our partners work that way. I mean, sometimes we might target a certain area and try to find a group there, but more often than not, they approach us. We really need like an advocate that kind of gets it. And even having an experience, a camp experience or a wilderness experience as a youth, if we can find an administrator that's had that experience, there's something about that that clicks and they're like, oh yeah, this had an impact on my life. Mm-hmm. And and maybe they don't quite get the adventure therapy fully, <laughs> but they kind of get the nature piece. And it, it's kind of like it opens the door to them considering. And then we can talk more about like, well, this is what adventure therapy is about. Yeah, there, there aren't, as you said before, there aren't too many groups in town like doing this kind of work. Mm-hmm. Even like just like we get calls from people just wanting like team building stuff. And they're like, we can't find anybody else, and which is which is unfortunate. So that's kind of, so we have, we've ranged from 15 to 20 community partners that we work with. We run 140 odd programs a year and we run year round, we run through the winter and everything. Yeah. So that's, that's a little bit about how we kind of engage partners. Well, I guess I'm not that surprised because when I was looking at your website and saw 5,000, you have served mm -hmm. over 5,000 clients. And I was just like, Bernie has served a small town's worth of people (laughs) with his program. Chicago Voyagers, you could name that a town and put all the people that have been through his program. And like you can build a municipality with a number of people you Mm -hmm. have brought adventure therapy to in Chicago. And that is mind blowing. Yeah, yeah. I was I was talking to the forest preserves, which we're working on a partnership. And I told them that we had brought 4,000 kids and of diverse kids into their 
their properties. And it was kind of a pretty strong argument for the partnership because one of their goals is to diversify and bring more, you know, people in there. And it's like, well, that's, we've been doing this for more than a decade. Like incredible. Uh, I have this question in my head, very poorly articulated. So bear with me for a second, <laughs> but we often think of adventure and uh, we've joked about this before and kind of for many of us, the person that pops into our mind when we think of adventure is wearing a trucker hat and a North Face Patagonia fleece with Chacos. And there's a, a an image of that just being white dudes. And it's really interesting. I mean, it's a theme on the Chicago Voyagers website is offering these services to everybody, no matter their demographics color of their skin, socioeconomic background, and these sort of things. And I think for populations that are tend to be underserved in therapy classic anyway, why adventure? It's if you think about like the demographics of who we work with, the idea of like going into counseling or something is kind of not on the radar. And it's not, it's not really part of their culture to tap the, that kind of resource. This is kind of like, um, I kind of can think of it as like a, a backdoor kind of thing mm. is, um, hey, we got this fun, cool stuff. And by the way, we're going to help you grow as a person. We're going to help you become more confident. We're going to help you with relationships is a way of really engaging a population that's really hard to engage a lot of the youth are just, they're disconnected. They're not involved in school programs. They're not involved in sports. In some cases, they're not allowed to like hang out in the neighborhood because of the safety issues. Yeah. And so they kind of go home and they're in their bedroom and it's just not the opportunities. And so adventure is a great way to attract them. And then it produces like the natural life challenges hmm. you know there's natural consequences that we can utilize there's also natural challenges for them to overcome so we're out in the canoes and the wind comes up and all of a sudden like we're fighting right <laughs> we're fighting we're fighting to get across the lake maybe as adults we're struggling right hmm. and so we kind of we're, as a group we're all kind of struggling together and we have to support each other and one canoe might be doing better than the other canoe and do they go over and help and it's I think I think teenagers really crave like real experiences and getting out of um, an inside room sitting around in a group of chairs is really attractive to them to like give me something real I can grab onto. I want to live life. I want to experiment with novel things and try new things. So there's a natural kind of connection there. It's really funny. I, I, I called Daniel this week. I flew over to Canberra from Adelaide. And went to, you know, the Australian Institute of Criminology Award programs because my good friend, and he's been on the podcast before, Mark Kartner, won a silver award for best crime prevention program, which is adventure therapy in a school focused on working with indigenous youth. And he's a policeman. He's not a therapist. And he is doing the... All, all the research to advocate for his program. And what he does is he gets all the young people a vocational training in outdoor recreation. So they get food safe handling certificates, first aid, all these things employers want, and they get school credits and they get to go on adventures. And I called Daniel because Daniel did his doctoral research on prevention. And I've never really thought about prevention as the angle, but every other award winner, every program was so innovative and creative. And I went, all these people could classify what they do as some sort of adventurous stuff. One of them was taking young people out in the city at night to show them how to engage with the nightlife of the city in a safe way. And I think that one of the things with being creative, and when we look at counseling and social work and we're all told to be creative and progressive, but then choose from a list of already established empirically supported treatments, and then adventures not on that list. So it is amazing with the when we think yeah. about how to engage the people who are who could benefit from what we do but don't. 
it is amazing the kind of backdoor stuff like you're talking about going to these underserved communities and bringing adventure and connection to the outdoors and as you said being outside might be riddled with violence for these for these young people absolutely and one of the one of the i think the powerful aspects of our model is is the community aspect so we have a few different phases we go through to to engage the youth and so our, our first phase is really like we're in their community and we're meeting with their with the families and we're we're doing information sessions we're doing kickoff meetings we're doing team buildings so we'll go to their community center we'll go to wherever they're at and we'll kind of start the relationship building there and the trust building yeah um and then our, our second phase is kind of like the the local kind of county right so we'll move kind of out kind of within an hour's drive, so to speak. And we have various places where we can do canoeing and mountain biking and you know, all of our different activities. And, and those are just half day kind of things. So they're they're back home at night. <laughs> um, and again, as we do that for a number of months. And then our, our next phase is we move up to camping and overnights. And so we might end up locally or we might end up up in Wisconsin and doing some rock climbing or doing something else and kind of, again, step at a time, get them comfortable, get the, a lot of it also is getting the families comfortable. This is like a big deal. Um, I was with, I was at a celebration last week and one of the moms had, had kind of admitted or, or told me that like her son had never been away from her for a night. Mm. Like he, he'd never gone anywhere overnight before. And he ended up on a five day canoeing wilderness expedition with us so he was gone for for five days and and had a great really great experience um and so kind of going from those one-nighters and then and then we kind of we finish with more of our expeditions which are kind of the four to eight day kind of wilderness programs that we do with the youth so really kind of um and then we kind of circle back and we end up back in the community right with the families and so really kind of a really kind of a careful approach with engaging the community, engaging the families and bringing the kids along to, um, to experience something that they, a lot of them wouldn't have taken the risk to do otherwise. That's an incredible approach. The way mm -hmm. that you keep the family involved and the community involved. And I, I, I just think that that also answers critiques that people make about a lot of child services as well, that they always try to take the kid out of the system and treat the kids separate and then plop them back into it. But it. But it sounds like you are working on focusing on supporting the young person in their community, with their family, with the folks that are around them, with the systems that they're engaged in. And that's just a really incredible and unique, more ecological approach that, that I find pretty inspiring. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And then the, the partner, of course, has their programming they're running in parallel right so they're getting they're getting programming from the local partner you know non-adventure therapy programming and then we're kind of adding on top of that programming and so the, the partner kind of maintains this long-term relationship and is there kind of on the day-to-day week-to-week kind of basis for the youth and then we kind of pop in with our with our adventures every so often can you say something well, speaking about of long you can go ahead, Dan, if you have a good joke queued up. It looks like you do. It wasn't a joke. It was just a question. Uh... <laughs> okay, I'm going to ask my question then. Um, speaking to partnerships, I know sometimes adventure therapy doesn't, like obviously you've talked about these partners coming to you for the most part to to add something to what they're already providing. Could you say something about skills of how, how like any wise advice on how to maintain good partnerships with other organizations, other practitioners. Yeah, that's, that's actually a, a kind of a critical component of long-term success. If if you end up relying upon one passionate advocate and they leave, there's a high risk for the program ending. And so we, we like to engage um, multiple staff, like in the adventures is mm -hmm. what we what we work to do and then we also it's really important to engage the administration so the school principal gets reports after in some cases after each adventure we go on mm -hmm. and administration gets invited to the kickoffs and the celebration and having them hear from the students makes all the difference in the world they can talk to a student about their experiences and hear how it's helped and supported them 
Um, and all of a sudden you have administrative support. Um, sometimes you have to navigate an adversarial relationship between administrative and direct service staff. You know, one supports it and the other doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> and so kind of being able to kind of kind of walk through that and figure out, okay, how do we gain um we kind of had that issue with the recent program and actually one of our funders was willing to step in and help kind of negotiate things, smooth things over with the principal because we had the, the superintendent and we had the direct line staff and, and support and we just need to get the principal on board. Mm-hmm. And um, so somewhere every once in a while we get lucky with something like that when an outside party kind of steps in. Um, but I think it's a constant, um, you know, we do a lot of, we do a lot of research and so sharing the that data and talking about like how our kids' grades are changing. So kids in our program have a 65% reduction in discipline referrals at school. Amazing. And so kind of taught and the, the grades go up by seven tenths of a, a point on their GPA. And so like that, that, that kind of gets schools' attentions, right? When you can kind of throw those kinds of numbers around, say, hey, this is what we can do. And that's with that's with just like 12 to 15 days of services. We can get those kinds of numbers. And it's just like, hey, this is a really valuable program. This can really help you with your issues at your school. Um, and this can really support the students and in, in, in being better students. Um, so I think the research component and sharing that with the partners, um, but definitely having them on the programs is number one. Because once they see it in action, they're like, oh, this is great. Like, I can see how my kids are responding. We want to do more of this. Um, we had a partner that was kind of didn't want to do the longer programs. And so we kind of been, been talking to them about it. And then we got some extra grant money and we said, hey, we can really do this. It's not going to cost you much of anything. Um, and so they experienced it. And now they're like all, all about doing more <laughs> of the longer adventures. So you just got to get your foot in the door. You got to get our foot in the door and then you have to work. It's like any kind of relationship. You have to really work it hmm. and you have to understand who the decision makers are. Um, a lot of times the school boards have to approve us. And so understanding like the process and how long it takes and who are the people that can advocate for us. Cause you can't be there to advocate all the time. You know, some of the, most of these decisions don't get made with us in the room. Right. Hmm. And, um, and it's um, so 80, like almost, over 80% of our funding is fundraising. That's something we kind of decided early on. So it's it's free programming to the youth and their families. And the partner will pay, you know, perhaps 20% of our overall costs come from our partners. And so we can provide something um, super low cost to our partners because of all the fundraising that we do. That is so incredible to me mm-hmm. that you're able to offer this package of services and it's free of charge to these kids and their families. That's so wonderful. Has it always been that way? It has. It's always been that way. And um, it's just something, if you want to serve this population, it's really the only way to do it. Yeah. We wouldn't be able to serve. I mean, so just to kind of go a little bit further, we supply sandals, we supply boots, we supply socks, we supply long underwear. I mean, the list goes on and on and on, right? And all those pieces are necessary to deliver this program to the youth that we want to target because none of them would be available to them. You know, they don't have good hiking shoes. They don't have, they don't have good rain gear. You know, if we're out, especially if we're going doing a big program in Turtle Flambeau or Boundary Waters or somewhere, like we need to have top quality equipment mm. for them to be comfortable and safe. So yeah, they just show up in a t-shirt and shorts and their, their bug spray and, and kind of like the rest is all outfitted out of our facility. So do you have corporate partners that support with offering that gear? How, how do you? Yeah, we do. We get more than, well, I would say the majority of our gear is donated. You know, North Face don't, just donated $15,000 of boots right a couple of years ago. And, and REI will donate their whole cross-country ski set that they're retiring and, and cycling out. And it, it kind of goes on and on. Storm Tech just donated like $14,000 worth of rain jackets and fleeces for us. And it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, the, the people that step up support, um, young people, um, it's, I'm constantly humbled by, <laughs> by that. 
Well, Daniel yeah. and I like uh, we like marmot gear. So if you could just get a start building that relationship. <laughs> oh now. yeah, well, you know, marmot is our tent manufacturer. <laughs> uh, we, of course. And, and we don't have. Unfortunately, we don't. We don't. It's hard to get free tents. It's really hard. But we can have a professional discount on them. Yeah. And we actually did have the marmot precept was all of our in gear. But we had these other folks come in and said they wanted to replace it all for us. <laughs> so for our <laughs> listeners, we don't get a penny from Marmot for this show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm a big fan of Marmot. Yeah. However, I've be... got my Marmot t-shirt on and Will's wearing a Marmot hat right now. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, you guys are real uh, diehards. Awesome. All right. We're sending them the uh we're sending them this podcast. And yeah. He said I that. It. I didn't even realize it. Yeah. <laughs> First paid sponsorship from Marmot. <laughs> anything they pay us will go directly to chicago voyagers <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right <laughs> bernie you know because we've talked about it in the past but you know a big area of focus in my research and work is on mental health promotion and prevention of behavioral health challenges and so I, because you do so much of this work i wanted to ask if you can describe why the approach used at chicago voyagers and maybe adventure therapy in general is such a good fit for prevention work and uh, well-being promotion. Yeah, absolutely. We we kind of fit, we normally work in the prevention, the early intervention stages. Um, we've sometimes we dabble over to like juvenile justice or other areas like that, but we mostly consider ourselves prevention. And um, I think, you know, gosh, you can just kind of think about. Um, I was just looking at some of the stats, mental health stats from the pandemic for young people. Yeah. And it's it's awful. Like it's eighty percent increase in this and fifty percent increase in suicide, all these numbers. And it's just like, oh my gosh, like there's so many challenges to be a young and if be a young person today. I think really the holistic approaches are really powerful. And you think about like adventure therapy as kind of being holistic, like we're supplying food and we're kind of arranging sleep, helping them with sleep schedules and mm -hmm. exercise, right? In a very supportive atmosphere. It's just, it's a really kind of powerful mechanism. And uh, I was been working with this group and it was kind of a summer, kind of a summer focused program that we're kind of converting into the kind of a year round program. There's like so many like home challenges that they have and just being able to come to a place to talk about like, hey, my dad's not in my life. Hey, my dad's in jail, like all this kinds of stuff and being able to like share that. It's like you're not alone in the world. Right? And despite all of this technology that we have, there's so many people that feel alone <laughs> and kind of craving that like deeper connection. And that ability to kind of share your life and, and share with each other is just really powerful for, you know, preventing mental illness. And so we have, our, our model is, has a kind of a, a clinical therapeutic, therapeutic focus and just kind of looking at kind of a wider lens of, you know, relationships and, and skills they need and so forth and trying to give them different opportunities to grow. Um, one of the things we do, um, are, we kind of have this four-part model. So one of them is we call it growth zone, but it's based on um, the Vygotsky's zone of proximal development and social learning theory. And so we'll do daily assessments with our kids. And so we'll sit down as an adult team and talk about each youth every day that we're with them and kind of where, where were they at? How are they doing? Where was their success? Where were their challenges? And then what's their next step to get them in that growth zone? Like, how can we keep them growing? And so if they're doing really well as an individual contributor and have a lot of positive things going, can we give them a leadership opportunity, right? They Can they start bringing others along? Mm -hmm. Can they step up in different ways? Our young people need adults to engage with them. There's so they just get disconnected <laughs> and they kind of get locked into this world of, of social media and everything else. And uh, there's a lot of, I think, as you guys know, there's a lot of research starting to come out around social media and it's got some downsides. <laughs> it's got some downsides to it. And um, it can be really hard for young people to, without the life experiences, to be able to kind of roll with some of the negative things that would come out about them and understand that it's not them, right? It's 
it's the post. It's someone's post. It's it's not how much they're valued. It's not about how talented they are. And and we can lift them up and kind of counteract all of that through this kinds of programming. I think also when you, you, you said engagement, which is my favorite word when thinking about therapeutic programming, that a lot of times we can get where we work with people who are inherently disengaged from engaging with anything that any adult does. And then when when it's our job and our responsibility to engage them, it kind of flips our role where we're not necessarily a teacher or somebody who is administering a treatment to someone, but we're doing it with them, seeing what engages them and what we can do more of and tailoring and fixing and adapting and adjusting, which I think adventure people inherently get that. It's really hard to run an expedition with disengaged clients. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you mentioned something I think that that's really key is the kind of the, the partnership. And we talk about, you know, therapeutic alliance. Mm. And but in, in adventure therapy, we're coming alongside our our clients and we're experiencing it together and we're struggling together <laughs> and we're willing to put ourselves out there. We're willing to clean dishes with them. We're willing to get in the mud to get the boat unstuck with them. <laughs> and so it was just so different than the adults standing by, right? And and yelling orders. It's like such a different world. You know, young people um respond all people I think respond to that kind of interaction. Well, it really fits so well when you think about like the risk and resilience models that folks use to illustrate prevention programs. And that's kind of the core of what they're saying is that you're promoting resilience by not just making things easy, but by going to a challenge and walking that challenge with support. So maybe they're more well-prepared in the future when they do encounter a challenge alone. Cause they say, you know what? I did this with Bernie and the Chicago Voyagers. We went through this and I, I at least know how to encounter something of this level of stress, this level of severity, and maybe it gives them a little bit of a leg up. Maybe it gives them a little bit of preparation to to walk through that on their own because they're like, you know, I did at least, I, I know I, I've made it up these climbs at Devil's Lake or through the Boundary Waters, and that that built some sort of strength than per- perseverance, and uh, it, it just really maps on pretty well. So it's cool to hear the way that you describe that. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. It's kind of shifting gears a little bit, but I wanted to ask you about your your new Voyagers program or Voyages program because there's I was pretty impressed to see that you're doing some long-term longitudinal work where you are working with the same young people for years and years and years. And that's not the case in a lot of adventure programs. And I think that's pretty cool and innovative. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you're doing there. Yeah, absolutely. And just to kind of give you a little bit of background. Um, you know, we started out with what we call our adventure program, which was kind of the one-off. And in some cases, it was a series of one-offs. Not necessarily the same kids would show up each time. But we noticed that when they when it did happen, where they were showing up regularly, we really noticed a change. Like, hey, these kids like, seem different. Like, they've been out with us five times now. And all of a sudden, they're getting the canoes down. They're putting them back. They're strapping them down. Like, they're doing all this stuff. And just out of their own accord, like its own motivation and, and initiative. And so that's what kind of created our, our, our second program, um, which is the journey program, which is a six to nine month engagement. And typically we would kind of we'd follow that phase model that I, that I described um, and, and frequently finish with an, an expedition. And that's what some of our, that's what our research is based on is that, you know, but then you all, you kind of hear stories about like, so we had, for example, we had this girl that had a 90% reduction in her discipline referrals. She went from like 108 down to 12 after being in our program. Yeah. And then, but then two years later, you hear stories of like, ah, she's still, oh, she's kind of struggling, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think it's a little kind of presumptuous of us to think like, oh, we can come in for six months or nine months and, you know, quote unquote, turn this kid's life around so-called <laughs> um, and then kind of walk away and like everything's good. Like it doesn't happen that way. You know, there's all the neighborhood challenges. There's all the family challenges. There's all the school challenges. So it just really got us on this, this track of this voyage program where 
hey, let's stay with the kids for multiple years mm-hmm. and let's kind of see what happens. So we're in the process of we've had some of it happen, especially like through our high schools. So now we're getting some some students that's like three or four years have been with us. And we're starting a community-based um, a program um, where we kind of do like an introductory program in seventh grade and then um, stay with them in eighth grade. We can have a full program, like year-round program. Um, and then we kind of have this agreement now with the high school to where we can transition them to programming through the high school. And so, and then stay with them. And then eventually they become, they'll become leaders in the in the program for the younger kids. So it's more like a kind of a four to five plus year kind of engagement. Wow. And we're, we're using some resiliency surveys and we're tracking grades and attendance and we're using control groups and so forth to really kind of measure. It's like, gosh, if, if a journey program does this, like what would a voyage program do, right? <laughs> and, and how does that translate? And so we're really kind of anxious and excited to see kind of how this goes. I mean, I think we have some ideas, but as I kind of mentioned, my first career was engineering. So I'm a data person. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, okay, let's, let's get the data. <laughs> let's get the data. Uh, well, it sounds too like, I mean, these kids are going to finish these programs and they're going to be prepared to work in outdoor ed or work in the social service. They're going to have a preview that most high yeah. schoolers wouldn't have of that type of work. And that's such a cool gift to be able to give that also. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's not our goal, but it's it's definitely a, a side effect that could happen. And you know, we talk to our kids a lot and it's like, our goal is not to make outdoors people out of you, right? Our goal is, is to empower you to do what you want to do. Right. So we're not trying to convince you, you have to be a camper, you have to be this, you have to be that, you have to have a career in the outdoors. Um, and some people will latch onto it and, and go for it. But really the the kind of the overriding thing is, is the empowerment piece and how we can let them choose like their path and how because you are so our kids are so a bunch of my first generation US and it's kind of rare for their parents to have any college experience for example and so kind of kind of opening broadening the world of like well you can do what you put your mind to it like you can struggle and overcome and you can chart your own path forward and if it is a college path you can chart that path if it's a different kind of path you can chart that path if it's a trade path or whatever it is but it doesn't have to be just i'm going to go down the block and work at the local place for the 15 bucks an hour and that's it like there's no more that's, sure. that's so incredible. That's so awesome. The the kind of new pathways that you're able to show in these new experiences that you're able to to help these young people to experience in their communities. That's <laughs> such a gift. I want to rewind a little bit too, because I saw your smile and excitement when talking about data. And Will and I get <laughs> that way a little bit too. We're doing a project about feedback informed treatment called the Adventure Therapy Outcome Monitoring Project. And we hear pushback about like, it's really hard to collect this. It's hard to know what's happening when you're doing adventure therapy because you're out in the mud, you're out in the the muck. It's hard to collect outcomes. So I'd love to hear about your success of how you how you built that in, how you built your outcome monitoring in, and how you've built research into what you're doing because I think that's a really cool thing that a lot of our listeners uh, may get something out of. Yeah, absolutely. And just to kind of wind back just a little bit, it, it kind of. It started with when I came to TAPG, I don't know what it was, eight or 10 years ago, Christine Norton and I kind of looked at each other and it took us like a whole day to figure out like where we knew each other. And we finally figured out it was that Idaho rafting trip that was canceled through OmniUse. She was working at OmniUse Services at the time. And so she just started telling me about like, hey, I'm, I'm in this research, I'm doing this stuff. And I'm like, you know, I that we really need that for Chicago Voyagers. Because of our fundraising model, we get funder questions. How do you know what you do works? And we have to answer these questions. Can you prove like what you're doing is making a difference? And so like the, the engineer, engineer in me, it's like, well, how do we prove that? Like we can share stories. Like there's the gut feel, right? It works. <laughs> we can see behavior changes. We can get evaluations from our partners on what they think. Christine has been instrumental in designing our, our research. 
And um, so we started with the positive youth development inventory and then measuring, you know, grades, attendance, absences, tardies, stuff like that. And with intervention groups, control groups, we've just kind of shifted away from the, the PYD to a resiliency survey. Um, it kind of becomes part of our process. So we kind of have this whole process with our partners of like, um, these are all the things we do in our programs. And this is one of those pieces. The control group thing is... You know, it's not required. The grades thing works so much easier with the schools. It's it's really hard to get the grades if you're not working with the school. But a lot of our programs are in schools. Part of the release form for the families is the releasing of grades and and so forth. And so the the parents would obviously need to sign off on, on any any of that. Yeah, we have you know project management tools to track who's come and do and when we need forms and. You know, we're launching a bunch of stuff right now. So it's like, okay, everyone be talking to your partners about control groups. Mm. <laughs> uh, make sure you get your resiliency surveys, you know, blah, blah, blah. For like school data, we measure over three semesters. So like for a journey program, the first semester is when we're just getting started. So that's kind of like the pre, we have the second semester when we're actively engaging them. And then the third semester is kind of like after that journey program is over. We kind of look for another six months out. So it's actually, to, even for the current research, it's kind of like an 18 to 24 month kind of thing to turn everything around and, and get all the analysis and reports. Um, and obviously now we're kind of turning into more of a multi-year kind of um, watching over multi-years kind of what happens with the kids. But, um, you know, it's optional for the kids. We don't require it. I had a boy yesterday, I was on a program and he's just like, you know, hey, Bernie, do I have to do this? I'm not feeling like it. And I'm like, no, you don't have to do this. This is optional. And I kind of, hey, what's going on? He's just like, I just don't feel like doing it right now. And I'm like, well, you don't have to do it now. Like, you want to take it back to school with you and do it later this week? He's like, yeah, I would like to do that. So then I we have our, our, our school staff. And so on my email this morning, it shows up, right? Like, okay, when we, when we got back, he was fine. And he's willing to do it. And he filled it out. And, and here it is. And we just, we kind of tell them, we tell the kids, it's like, well, this is really about like, how are we doing? Are we doing our best for you? Like we want to, we want to know if we're doing our best for you. We're here to serve you. This is your program. And then it's also, you know, the people that pay for these programs also want, want the same answer. Like, are we doing our best for the youth that we serve? Hmm. And so this is really helpful in getting funding um, because of our uniqueness of our model and the outcome data we can show um, we're, we're at almost 90% renewal rate on our, our grants. Wow. And the, the new ones are a little bit tricky. If we can get a warm lead, we're probably in the 75% neighborhood. Like if we can get a meeting with them, we're pretty solid. Sometimes it's just really hard to get someone's attention when there's hundreds and hundreds of charities that we're competing against. Yeah, so we put up our videos, we put up kids 100 feet off the rock, 100 feet up on the rocks. We put up all these things to try to attract people. <laughs> and it, it generally works out um, pretty well. Oh, it's so good. It's so, it's so important that no matter our type of program, we all keep building data about what's going on and what we're doing in it. And this is going to link to my my next question. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but when when people ask us, what is it? And then we have to figure out how we're going to define it is what we do, because we all do it differently under the same name. And then does it work? And then that's a question that's really good to know your elevator pitch of how to answer it, which has been totally clear from this discussion about grades and uh, resiliency and those sort of things. So so the, the two of you, before we wrap up, are getting on a plane next week sometime and heading to uh the Appalachians to my old stomping ground and I was wondering Bernie you brought up Christine's help with you on research um as she's done with loads of organizations and engaging with this community that you've been a part of for a long time and Daniel and I have been engaged with as well and I wonder what are you most looking forward to about heading to that conference oh yeah definitely kind of the reconnecting with folks I get the, the word community maybe is like an understatement. <laughs> um, I don't know, you, close community. I mean, that, that doesn't really cut it either, right? But really the connections um, is really inspiring. Finding out what other people are doing and getting, sharing ideas with each other. It's a real welcoming atmosphere. 
that yeah, it's like I don't have any qualms about bringing like my staff there. Like I know they're going to be welcomed with open arms, and they're going to be exposed to a lot of different things. Um, sometimes, kind of circling back to some earlier comments, you know, despite the fact that there are a, a couple of us here in, in Illinois doing this work, um, can feel pretty lonely, right, doing this work when you're not in a, a hub of the work, so to speak. <laughs> um, and so I think there's a lot of like, a lot of re-energizing that happens with myself and my team um, of just kind of seeing like, oh, wow, there's this whole national, international community out there that's doing this work and that's passionate about it. Yeah, it's, it's just amazing. Um, it, you know, we had a kind of a risk management safety emergency action plan audit this year. And it was based on someone I had met at the conference, right? And like, oh, hey, you're a specialist in this. And so I get connected with them and okay, and I'd like, like you to take a look at our stuff. Like how are we set up well for, cause I mean, ultimately like the safety of our youth is like that's first, right? And you constantly thinking about that like every minute of a program, mm. <laughs> constantly like looking around and, and making sure like, hey, are we is there, are we in a good place in terms of our youth being safe and um, and able to bring that thing back home safely? More data. More data. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so well, one of the last things that I want to want to ask slash say, people ask me about adventure therapy all the time. I teach about it. I lecture about it. I write about it. And they always want like an example. And my, my two go-to examples are Heather Rosado's program, See You at the Summit out here that takes kids experience cancer into, into remote environments for a backpacking experience and, and Chicago Voyagers. Because I mean, I come from a prevention background and a community mental health background. And I just think you two are two of the coolest examples of how adventure therapy can really reach communities that need it and be a part of just serving people who are experiencing marginalization or challenge. And it, it's what I hope for the future of our field is to have a Chicago Voyager style program in, in every major city and every community. Because mm. I, I think that the type of work that you all do is so needed and so incredible. So I, I wanted to ask, is there goals you, you support, do you provide mentorship to, to help others start programs similar to yours because it's really a unique thing that i think could spread like wildfire oh yeah i mean absolutely i from time to time i do i, I do get calls or contacts about hey would you talk to this person hey this person's thinking about doing this and, and I'm, I'm happy to do that i'm happy i so i took over chicago voyager when the revenue was one thousand six hundred dollars and it was it was twenty two bikes and the trailer and the five hundred one c three charter and, and sixteen hundred dollars. That's kind of where I started from, wow. and so it, it it's been. I talked about this wild ride, but like going from there to I think we're probably across a million dollar revenue this year. It's just an incredible journey, and it's just there's like the school of hard knocks. Like, how do you run a payroll? I'm just so there's so many things to think about. How do you get medical insurance? Mm. How do you? There's all these business because it's a we're a corporation, so we're a business, right? And so there's all these things that are are pretty challenging. And yeah, I, I think we all need to kind of be willing to kind of support each other in in that. Um, whatever kind of people are going so sometimes it's partnering and sometimes it's helping other folks get going with something and in, in a different place so yeah i think it's important that we that we do that for each other before we i mean were there any final things that you'd like to say that you'd like to share uh, <laughs> you've, you've dropped so much knowledge on us already and we we appreciate it all so much <clears throat> but i want to make sure there's an opportunity for if there's anything that, that you wanted to get out about well, your program. Just yeah, I mean, I think just that, like, if you people out there, um, like, just it's important work, right? And so I think just, you know, hang in there in the tough times. There's times where it's tough, right? Like, can I keep doing this? Or do I want to retire? Or do I want to do, you know, or we don't have the money for this, right? Yeah. <laughs> and how do we start this program up? Like, how are we going to get funding? Like, these kids really need us. And like, just kind of, staying focused and and um just knowing that like you know all the people in this community are making such a big difference in the world including you two guys <laughs> so really <laughs> appreciate you guys and what you do with your podcasts and what you do with your programs and teaching and it's pretty amazing and um just i'm just glad to be part of this this whole community 
Excellent. We're so I'm <laughs> so excited to be in a community with you. It's it's an yeah. Honor. I'm just amped. You just got us free marmot gear. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, marmot. Yeah, go marmot. Go marmot. <laughs> They're gonna hear this episode and be like, "What in the yeah. hell do we do with this?" I, <laughs> I I personally have marmot gear, so there's another plug. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> well, Bernie, thank you so much, and I and I I will be um in England and France while you are all conferencing in the North Carolina mountains. So, Oh, cool. I just got, I just got back from England and Scotland and hiking in the West, uh, the West Highlands. So it was a beautiful place. Yeah. Incredible. So you, you both have a great time and I can't wait to hear all about it. And, uh, thanks so much for doing this, Bernie. And, um, I'm really excited to hear how this voyage program really goes working in a more long-term focus. Yeah, thank you much.